0: You're listening to Faith by Hearing with Dave Delaney. Christian conversations about faith, family, and friends.
1: They just sell them on the streets so they'll have like just a, a plate and there's a huge mound of them. And they'll have oh my garlic word. ones, spicy ones, normal ones. What was it like? They don't taste bad at all. Not like you can tell. Nice. Wow. I was kind of nervous. like, well, how do they get these? And are they like, are they like farming these things in some kind of... Nasty place, but then apparently they they harvest them from the wild. Dang. They electrocute them. They got this big old wand net, and they just shock them, and they scoop them up. Just like they do to chickens. Is that how they kill chickens?
0: Yeah, in the slaughterhouse, chickens and turkeys. The first thing they do, they run them across a hot wire.
2: Sounds delicious. Welcome to uh, episode two, Faith by Hearing. An authentic conversation about faith, family, and friends. Food, give food a, today. want to give a thank you to everybody who listened to episode one and gave us all kinds of feedback on that. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you're listening to episode two after you listened to episode one. That'd be a good take for us.
0: We got to bump back to that feedback, though. There is one specific person. We don't have to do it by name, okay. but I did want to address one of those critic, what they say, constructive criticism. Constructive, yeah. yeah. There was a uh, someone who responded. They actually replied to Pastor and let him know that they were very disappointed that there was only one Star Wars reference in episode one.
1: Star Wars? Star
0: Wars reference. I had to think to remember I can't even remember that. Remember he was talking about the the bond of the rebels and like friendship. I do. He's and this guy was detailed too. He counted he said there was only one Star Wars reference in the first 16 minutes. Yeah. And no none after that.
1: I honestly thought that was a Guardians of the Galaxy reference.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We avoided the actual franchise name for copyright reasons. Then we realized we're a pretty small podcast and Lucasfilm Disney is probably not going to come after us.
2: (laughs) Small beginnings though, guys.
0: Small beginnings. So uh, I was a casual childhood Star Wars fan. I'm not like crazy about it at this point in my life, but I'll do my best if one comes to mind. I'll uh, throw it in there. If
2: Derek was a Star Wars character, who would he be? Who would Evan be? Who would I be? How about that in the comment section for show two?
0: Yeah, go stalk us up on Instagram and let us know who we look like. My my recommendation for Derek, solely based on the amount of hair that this band has, (laughs) would be Chewbacca.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Says the guy with a four inch long beard, (laughs) right? You're Princess Leia, then? Oh no, I
0: take Jar Jar. I've been known for my share of blunders.
2: We do, we do want to give you give a thank you to everybody who gave comments and uh, shared or reposted or or liked the podcast. If you can help us with that, continue to help us get the word out about the podcast. Evan, will give us some information on where we find all of our Faith by Hearing um, sites.
0: Yeah, absolutely. On Instagram, you can find us at Faith by Hearing podcast. Just the four words in a row, no underscores or anything. At Twitter, we're at FBH underscore podcast. Uh, I do want to let you know, those of you who took part in the sticker giveaway, by the time that this episode hits your ears, your sticker will already be in the mail. So those are on the way to you. Slap it on something cool. Send us a picture on Instagram of wherever you put it and we'd like to see that. But this next week, we'll throw some polls up about future topics and go ahead and make sure and vote. Let us know what you think about those, but Anything else If uh, could be direct message to us, or also feel free to send us an email at faithbyhearingpodcast at gmail.com.
2: So we wanted this to be an authentic conversation about our faith, family, and friends. Last episode, we talked about our friends and the importance of friendship. This week, we're to spend some time talking about the importance of family and what family means for each of us individually, but also what it is to us as given to us by God. And so we're going to jump into this conversation just about family, about family relationships. And we hope that this is an encouraging conversation for everyone who's listening. But I think when you have a conversation about the family, I think you want to always make sure that you begin in the, in the right kind of places. And I think about the institution of the family being written and and given to us in Genesis chapter number two, of course God makes Adam, makes Eve, and he creates the first home between Adam and Eve and he and he gives us the first institution. Uh, before the institution of the church, before the institution of the government, we're given the institution of the family. This family is in God's perfect and good design, one man, one woman, inside of marriage for life, and of course this is the goal for all families, all 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 marriages. And this is reinforced by Jesus, of course, in Matthew chapter 19. It's reinforced by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. And honestly, I can't think of anything outside of the Word of God itself that is the single source of credibility or authority in someone's life than their marriage. And I think that's why Paul, when he talks about when you go to choose spiritual leaders for the church— you should make sure that they're called of God, make sure they have particular giftings. But in every scenario, he's telling them, look at their families. Are they leading their wives well? Are they leading their kids well? And those are found in 1 Timothy, Is found in Titus. That when we lead our families in the way that we ought to, it gives to us credibility. I can't tell you how many times in the course of pastoring throughout all these years where someone said, I listen to what you say because I look at the family that you have. Everyone kind of assumes, oh, if it's not going well in your own home, you probably shouldn't be exporting it to other people. We want to make sure that we're reinforcing these the structure of the family because it's God's design, because it offers credibility. But the Bible also talks about marriage as a sanctifying gift given to us in this life. You think of all the relationships God could have used to quantify or qualify the gospel. And he says the gospel is like a marriage. It's, it's like husband and wife. Christ loving the church, giving himself for it. The gospel is like a marriage. So there's a sanctifying element to our marriages, and there's a sanctifying element to our homes. When we live in close proximity and relationship with people under one roof and one house for a long period of time, there's Certain characteristics or personality traits or different things that get worked out over the course of that amount of time. So I think for these reasons and probably a host of others, marriages and families have been under attack and are under attack. And let's kind of maybe start the conversation there. What are some ways that you guys see man? marriages and homes and families are under attack unlike any other time? Uh, before
0: the first thing that comes to my mind and not to just jump off the deep end and get so serious right at the start but the over sexualization of our world today where as god intended it that physical intimacy is the most sacred thing right and it's for one man and for one woman inside the bounds of a marriage and now we see every section of the internet every section of advertisement every section of our world today seems to be just glazed over with just inappropriate themes. Mm-hmm. And for the obvious caution of that was to protect yourself from marital infidelity, to protect yourself from what the Bible calls adultery. But even just in the uh, the protection of your mind, I know pastor talked about that to our men on a Wednesday night, just the dangers of the internet. And it's important to, to remember not just in actual very dangerous things that we could view, but also just in the, the types of humor we absorb. You know, if you watch 50% of funny videos on the internet, they probably include some kind of innuendo or joke that takes that sacred bond of a man and a woman and makes light of it mm-hmm. and makes references it outside of marriage and all kinds of inappropriate ways. So I think keeping your mind pure towards your physical intimacy and protecting the way that you think of those things inside of your marriage, inside of your relationship is a battle.
2: Yeah. I I think the world says that we should be generous with our sexuality and stingy with our money. And the message of the Bible is the exact opposite. (laughs) The message of the Bible says, no, no, no. Be stingy with your sexuality. One man, one woman inside the bound of marriage and be generous with your money. Give your money away. Who cares about money? It's nothing. And the world has taken and they've turned that upside down. And I think the reason why the world has done that is because this is God's design. And that's what the world, the flesh, the devil, this is what they're trying to do, destroy God's good design. And we see the family, the home come under attack in that way. What about you, Derek? Any, Any ideas of ways that you see the world attacking this institution?
1: Maybe it's just the the redefining of a family. How they they take the importance away from a nuclear family and pretty much make that seem unnecessary. It doesn't have to be a mother and a father and their children. It's it's a way that the, the world is going. They anything that God creates, the world and Satan perverts and misconstrues and, and tries to destroy. So,
2: absolutely, I I wholeheartedly agree with you on that point too. And I think that that is. A primary way that we're seeing the deterioration of the family today, where there are institutions and movements and theories and philosophies who have given themselves over to completely destroying the family and saying, we have to turn that entire thing upside down and have advocated, argued, paraded celebrated the destruction of the family. And of course, we would recognize that spiritually. When you put a spiritual lens on, you say, but that's spiritual warfare that's happening there. That's the world, the flesh, the devil that's coming through. Because why? Well, ultimately, because God's designed the family and the devil hates anything that God does. Because the family is a picture of the gospel and the devil wants to destroy that. He doesn't want people seeing the gospel clearly. And he knows that the family is a sanctifying element. It It's what leads us into holiness, Christ-likeness, sanctification. It's what works out all the rough edges. And so, of course, the devil would set his side on that and try to destroy it because he doesn't doesn't want that being propagated Mm -hmm. to the next generation. And I think for that reason, it's why we have to decide that, man, the hurt and the pain um, that we see as a result of the deterioration of the family today is why we have to recommit ourselves to strengthening the family. So no matter, no matter what your family dynamic looks like, what we would want you to know from us is let's commit ourselves again and again and again to strengthening family dynamic and strengthening the family in the way that Genesis 2, Matthew 19, Ephesians 5, and really threaded throughout the entire Bible the way that God has designed marriage for us. And so let's let's talk about that. Like, What are some strengthening elements then that maybe you all had or I had while we were growing up? We all have, we don't have perfect families, but we have very good families as it relates to our parents and our siblings. What are some things you saw maybe in your mom or dad that you thought, man, these were things that my parents did that Strengthened those formative years of my life, and and I'll I'll start. So I'm, I'm asking the question, but I'm I'm also answering. So I'm kind of cheating here, okay? But <laughs> not practical. We'll get to the practical in a little bit. So, but in my mind, I'm thinking more theoretical. And for for me, like what I saw in my dad was consistency. That my dad was the same person at home that he was at church, that he was at work, that he was at the grocery store. He was consistent. There was no part of me watching him growing up where I thought, oh, he's somebody else when he's there than he's somebody here. He lived a consistent, genuine life. What we might, in our vernacular today, we might call that like authentic, you know, or authenticity. He's the realist. (laughs) <laughs> but that's what it was he was just consistent i mean who he was at home was who he was in front of everybody else and i think sometimes what happens in the family is mom or dad or the kids are somebody else while they're somewhere else and they live this kind of alternate ego and then they come home and maybe they're extrovert out at work but when they're when they're at the house they're introvert and they completely shut down and they don't engage and I think that that can be damaging to a kid who's watching his parents, you know, and in trying to d- decide like, okay, who am I? Where do I fit in the world? So I think consistency from my dad, and then I think support or loyalty from my mom. My mom was very supportive of my father. That doesn't mean he always did everything right or made always made the right call, but you you would have never known in my family that she thought it was the wrong call, and they had their. Tough conversations, of course, but it was always closed door, private conversation. And anytime it was in front of us, she was supportive and she was leading and she wasn't undermining or she wasn't going, oh, well, here he goes again with one of these crazy ideas. She was never doing that. She was always verbally supportive, but not just verbally supportive. She was also supportive in that she was present. So whatever my dad was doing, if he was teaching Sunday school class, my mom was there. If my dad was driving the bus, she was there. If my dad was preaching, she was on second row. She was always supportive in whatever he felt like the Lord had called or was calling him to do. And I think her support, because I think a lot of people would say, well, if I had a wife who was supportive, well, then I would... But I think her support was built up because he was consistent. So it's easy for her, I'm certain she would say, it's easy for her to respond with loyalty and support because she saw the consistency of the man. And sometimes that's that's what happens in marriages. We think, well, if that other person would just be this, then I could be that, as opposed to just looking inward and going, no, 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 you'd be consistent and she'll respond with loyalty or support. You be supportive or loyal and he'll respond with consistency and encouragement. So I would say for me, I saw that element being lived out in my home at a very early age. And I know not everyone had that, but I did. And I think that that led me to say in my own home, like, that's what I want. I want a home that's consistent. I want a home where there's there's support, where there's encouragement. And I think Christ can be glorified and honored in that. But what about you guys? What are some things you've seen?
1: I think one of the things that brought me... Stability and security the most as a kid, and looking back, I probably didn't realize it at the time, but was the importance that my parents put on their marriage, and how never for a second did I not think that they were each other's priority. And I, I I just looked uh, at—I don't know if you saw Tom Brady's message that he posted about their divorce, and how he says, you know, our kids will remain the number one thing in our world, and. Mm And how that seems kind of counterintuitive to me, but knowing that I wasn't the center of their world, it actually brought me security to know that everything's going to be okay up top. I don't have to worry mm-hmm. about their relationship. I don't have to worry about the family splitting in that way that I, I can't imagine how a lot of kids who have to witness their parents fighting or, or have to go through their parents split, how much insecurity that can bring. And I think just their love for each other, and they they'll be very specific about it. They'll say, you know, my dad used to sing us a song that w- it was basically like, "Man, I love you guys so much, but compared to your mom, I don't love you at all." Like, <laughs> I think the punchline of the song was, "Hey, but before before there was you, your mother was my first love." And in that that assurance, it I, I can't imagine the amount of pressure it puts on a child to think, "Oh, I'm the one." that has to be the center of this family. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that has to to keep this thing together and not to have the, the stability and the security of, hey, everything's all right up top. I don't yeah. have to stress about that. Yeah, that's good. What about you, Evan?
2: I would mirror
0: the same thought as Derek, just to, to highlight. I, I, I don't think until right now when you were saying that, it occurred to me. I don't think in my entire childhood or teen years I ever once considered the possibility of my parents getting a divorce. And that's a blessing that I... I had no way, like you said, I can't imagine it being any way else. That's a blessing. I have no way of calculating how much that probably helped me. Looking at my dad, I think the word that I think of is determined. To think that the, the home that I had, the life that I lived, he had nothing like that in his childhood. My dad lived in a very challenging life for his early years. And um, about he the way he says it about the worst home you could imagine is where he lived. To come out of that having no example of a man and a father and a leader or a a loving husband to look into God's word, to look into Christian examples that he had and to be able to pull that out into his own life and to create a home that that I got to grow up in. There's just determination that he wasn't going to have what he had growing up and that my life and my sibling's life was going to be a loving home and it was going to be a happy marriage. And with no example of that and no experience of that in his childhood, the determination to to live by God's principles and to ha- have a godly home was so strong. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I still probably don't understand what it took for him to do that, but I'm very thankful that he did. Uh, when I think about my mom, I think that she, she was very enabling to my dad. And what I'm, I mean, I'm one of nine kids for for those of you who wouldn't know. So I had a big family and my dad was really good about taking us with him um, in the Lord's work. I never felt like ministry was something my dad did instead of me It was something that he did with me. Um, but as I was young and my siblings were younger, my mom was always so willing to hold things down at home so my dad could be a part of, of the work of the Lord. And I don't think it was to her detriment or to our detriment. That's just, she felt that was her role in mm-hmm. my dad's calling. Mm-hmm. Um, Why? While, while my dad picked up kids on the bus or my dad taught junior church or my dad did all these things, helped his pastor that my mom knew that by getting eight kids ready for church by herself and loading us all in the van and getting us to church, she was doing just as much as my dad was that doing. That was her ministry. That was her ministry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was so enabling to my dad where I feel like with nine kids, it would have been a full-time job for both of them to have us in church and have us where we needed to be. Um, But my mom took that role to enable my dad to take the older ones, right? And give us that example of serving the Lord.
2: That's really good. I want to be careful here and I want to kind of change the direction because I think sometimes what happens is when you hear things like that about strength and marriage and love for each other and determination and support and loyalty and all these things, it's easy to automatically feel like, well, then I'm a failure, right? Mm Right. And this task is impossible. I hear things like your your mom was getting nine kids ready in the morning. <laughs> like I'm doing good to get one kid ready in the morning. Like I'm doing I'm actually doing good just to get myself out of the house in the morning. Right. And so sometimes what happens in a conversation about marriage and family is it feels like you're taking a pounding because for most people they're well aware of their inadequacies, their inconsistencies, and their weaknesses. Not only do not only are we aware of it internally, but then we see other people who we assume well, they must have it all together because look, their kids are always matching and their clothes are always <laughs> ironed, and they're always smiling and they're sitting on the front row, and it can't, and so at this point in the conversation, this is what I want to make sure everyone hears like there are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect families and you don't have to be perfect. That's the good news. No one has laid the expectation of perfection on you except yourself, because even God knows you won't be perfect. And that's why he sent Jesus. Right. Jesus came into the world because, and this was God's plan before he ever created the world, because he knew we would not meet the measure of perfection. So I want to make sure that everyone's, everyone kind of t- takes a breath and goes, okay, so yes, we want consistency and loyalty and support, and we we want to shoot for strength and never ending nonstop love. And sometimes we come up short of that because we aren't perfect. So if if you're in a situation where the family dynamic isn't perfect, that's okay. God's strength is enough. God's grace will be enough and God can get you to where you need to be. But what we're talking about is we're talking about making a commitment to strengthen the family where you are. So if you're a husband, if you're a wife, a mom, you're a son, a daughter, it doesn't matter what your specific role looks like. You have to make the decision to strengthen the dynamic of your family right where you are. So if you're a 16-year-old kid and your parents aren't anything like Evan's or Derek's, that's fine. You can still make the decision to say, I'm going to be a strengthening element in this family. I'm going to do what God has called me to do in his word as a son or as a daughter. If you're a college kid, you can make the same commitment. If you're newlyweds, if you're longtime weds, you can still make the same commitment without just zeroing in on the imperfections of all these of all these relationships and i think what's important also to understand is that if you have had a bad day we've all had bad days and your bad day hasn't ruined the good work that god is doing mm. and i think i think moms and dads especially need to hear that because we've all had days where we've, we've snapped at our kids. We've said things in a way we didn't mean to say it. Or we handled something in a way that was too harsh or too strong or not harsh enough. And the devil plays these games like you, you just broke your kid in that moment. You ruined him. And what I just want you to hear me say is kids are resilient. You haven't ruined anything, right? Kids are tough. And the, but the devil plays these games where he causes us to be self-defeating. And that self-defeat, he keeps us from walking into what God has called us to do. Paul says that Christ has created us on two good works. The devil doesn't want you to be saved, but the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, now the devil's strategy became keep you from the good work that God has called you to do. And there's no greater work that God has given to any of us other than the family. That's the greatest work. As a husband, as a, as a wife, as a son or daughter, as parents, as uncles, aunts, cousins, doesn't matter. That dynamic, that is the great work that God has given us to do is in our own families. So we don't want this to be a conversation where you feel like you're taking a pounding for the next 15 minutes. We want this to be a conversation where where you feel like, man, we're trying to help you make the right decision to strengthen your family in the moment. This decision starts in your own heart. This decision about strengthening the family, whatever the family dynamic looks like, begins right now in your own heart. I think of that wonderful family passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the Jewish families would would read this every morning, every night, they would read this thing together. But it begins with, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Before he talks about what you tell your kids or what instruction to give your kids or where to write Bible verses in your house? What kind of conversations should, should you have around the dinner table? He begins with, you love God with all your heart. It's a personal decision that each of us must make. You love your family best if you love God first. Hmm. And that's what we want everyone to hear. You will love your family best. If it's a traditional family in the most traditional sense, if it's a blended family, if it's a single parent home, it doesn't matter. You will love your family best if you put God first. So if you love God, he'll use the environment that you are in to strengthen and sanctify, create and get you to where he wants you to be. So what would you say to somebody who maybe they're not in a good home environment? Maybe they're in a difficult home environment. And we would all say, well, that person should love God. They should love God first. Okay, so get, let's talk practically then. Like, what does that look like for someone? How could someone, maybe in a, in a, in a more difficult home environment, how could that person choose, okay, I'm going to love God first?
0: I think especially if we're talking about a son or a daughter, um, that it feels like an impossible task to change the direction and the spirit of your home. But what you can do is start with the small things that God has commanded and implement those one at a time, right? It's the same as I think you said you said it last week. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you change the spirit of a household with one small obedient action to God at a time? That's right. So that would start with what God's clearly given you for your family role, right? And you reference Ephesians chapter five. Jump it up to chapter six. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right pastor always says for they are right no they're not always right for this is right a spirit of obedience submission and honor to your parents because they're they're the authority in your life at this time when they're right and when they're wrong it's so hard to see it as a kid because that feels backwards but you're someone treats you wrong and by honoring and obeying anyways you're just enabling them to continue to do wrong Mm -hmm. but god knows what he's talking about and when god says to obey your parents for this is right. For this pleases the Lord. God will make changes in your home and in the heart of your parents by your spirit of obedience and honor um, in that way.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think it's worth saying, too, how just from an uh, attitude and mental standpoint, you can see how it can be discouraging to come from a family like Evan's dad or or like my my grandfather. He came from a, a very bad situation, a drunkard's home, split home, and how they can see a future where... They can decide that's not going to be the way I raise my family. And they can decide to break that cycle. I think you mentioned already to get around other godly examples, other men of God and look in the Word of God and and look at men in the Bible and how they behaved and the decisions that they made and the priorities that they had. And to just decide for yourself, even though I didn't have those specific advantages that I had in my own family, you can decide to break that cycle. Mm -hmm. You can decide... You can make the decision. You don't have to just repeat. You don't have to always do what you've seen. You can turn to the Word of God and, and look at the Scriptures. What does the Bible say I should do as a father? What right. does the Bible say I should do as a husband? Like you said, the best husbands are spirit-filled husbands. Mm-hmm. The best fathers are spirit-filled fathers. The best children are spirit-filled children. So looking to the Word of God in that way. I had a conversation recently with a couple of my friends about how can you be socially immature and spiritually mature can you be you know could is it possible for your life to be dramatically out of whack in that way and the base the basic consensus i got from that is with spiritual maturity the other aspects of your life tend to increase tend to mature as well and it's not necessarily that way with everything you can be you can be very smart and very spiritually immature you can be very socially adept and in Mature, but have no idea how to interpret the word of God or to apply it to your life. But it doesn't seem to be that way with your spiritual maturity. When you grow spiritually, you will grow as a father. You will grow as a uh, son. You will grow as a husband in those mm-hmm. ways. Yeah.
2: I think if you're looking at a difficult home environment, regardless of your role in that home, the the best way to implement any change is to start in your own heart. Sometimes what we think is, well, I'm in a difficult home environment and difficult circumstance. They need to change. And if they would change, then this would be better. But the message in the scripture is very seldom is it they need to. Mm. Most of the time it's I need to. right? Because I can't control all the circumstances around me. And what we have to recognize is that there have been people in difficult home situations who have glorified God in the most amazing and life-altering ways. You think of Hosea in the Bible. Like, that's a pretty bad home environment. (laughs) And yet, God's getting glory. So no matter what situation you are in, you start in your own heart. That's where I want everyone to begin this conversation at. We start in our own heart. You make the decision to love God with all of your heart. And if you love God first, you will love your family best. But I think in that same kind of conversation, like a subcategory of that, I love Amanda best when I love God first. Mm. And what I need from Amanda is I need her to love God first. And sometimes selfishly what I would go, I I want Amanda to love me first, right? I don't need Amanda to love me. I need Amanda to love God. And if Amanda loves God, Amanda will love me and our children and whatever like extenuating circumstances she's in. She'll meet the expectation of those situations because she's choosing to put God first in her life. And so I think that that's also what needs to be articulated here. That sometimes what we think inside of a family conversation is, I want my kids to be this, and I want my husband to be that, or I want my wife to be this. Love God first. And if you choose to love God, you'll meet all the other expectations. I I hear all the time, you know, from whether it's students or married couples, well he his his expectations for me are way too high how could i possibly meet those expectations and the teacher wants this and the boss wants that and how can you possibly live up to all these expectations if you choose to please god first and foremost then all of the other areas all of the other categories will be met because you've put god first so i think it's i think it i think it starts in your own heart but i think there's a second layer here as we're talking about our family dynamic, not only does it start in our heart, but then it's shown in our speech. And that passage in Deuteronomy chapter six, he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, now teach them diligently to thy children. So that word teach is literally talk about, right? Instruct, mm-hmm. offer, communicate. In every good family relationship Every good relationship, just in general, necessitates communication. So how do I affect positive change in my family? Man, I'm, I'm guarding what I say. I'm guarding how I say it. I'm even thinking about when I say it. Because you might have the right thing to say. It might, you might say it in the right way. But if you say it at the wrong time, then it, it's not going to be beneficial to whoever you're talking to. So you want to you show in your speech that I love you. I care about you. I'm trying to do the best I can in this particular situation that I'm in. And so I'm going to guard the words of my mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So let's talk about that maybe for a little while. And you all give me some ideas here. Like what are ways in our family relationships, whatever they may look like, what are some ways that we can use our words in a good way, That help strengthen the family relationship or family dynamics?
0: I think it's important to affirm other members of your family when they do the right thing in filling their family role. Like when a father or a mother applauds their children, rather than just always bark, 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 Mm -hmm. it builds your kid. No matter what age your kid is, it Mm -hmm. builds your kid up. And even more so from a child, because it's, it's so rare for a child to have the my the the mindfulness to thank their parents for what they do or to Mm -hmm. thank their parents for loving them so whether you're a a teenager or a college student as a child to affirm your parents for the way they love you and the way they lead your home and the way they take care of you and even as a sibling when your younger siblings or your older siblings they do what's right and they make good decisions and they're a good example to you to thank them for those things and to applaud them on those things Mm -hmm. Uh, just affirming the right action because so many times we respond to the wrong action. Yeah. And a teenager will lash out at their parents for always being angry and a parent will lash out at their teenager for always having that attitude. But when there's a good attitude or when your parent is meek and handles the situation right, we don't respond to that. Right. Yeah. So to affirm right action, well, I think, is the first thing that comes to my mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, I think goes along with the phrase, you get what you praise for. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And just in general, I mean the times that I have received correction well, it's because I knew the correction was coming from someone who loved me mm-hmm. and in that same way, I have to remember to do that as a husband if i'm gonna come with some type of criticism, if i'm gonna come at something with some kind of correction or maybe some suggestion, I have to come from a place of love and a place of interest, not only in my own my own selfish interests. But of, hey, this is this is what I think will be good for us. This is what I think will be good for you. And that, that comes from me as a husband. And probably one of my flaws is me as a brother to my siblings to use my voice, to use the influence I have in my family to build up and to encourage and to, to give instruction and just to be a encourager.
2: Yeah, the Bible says, you know, our words have power to give life and our words have power to give death. They have power to give a blessing. They have power to give a cursing. And we've all seen situations where someone is just verbally beaten down and that in that situation, just typically that person lacks confidence, lacks assertiveness, that person lacks, um, sometimes, sometimes even just security and being who they are and the person who is praised, that person just typically has more confidence and assertiveness That person is more willing to kind of meet life head on because someone's taken time to pour into this individual words of life, words of affirmation, of course, words of correction, words of instruction. You have to do that. But making sure that we're using our words in a way that is life-giving, and I think that's what Deuteronomy 6 is talking about. It starts in your own heart, and as it moves from your own heart, guess where it's going to go? It's going to filter through your home. So I think it's important to say not just words of affirmation, but I think it's also important to say words of gratitude. Thank you to mom. Thank you to dad. Thank you to you know your sisters, for your brothers for doing this or that. I think sometimes, and especially in our world, I think men can be underappreciated in the home. I think one of the greatest things that a wife could do for her husband is to just tell him thank you after a long day of work. Let him sit down and turn on the football game and drink Diet Coke or whatever, and just say, Thank you for everything you do. I think that's something that most men don't feel very often. And men, and, and this could be future podcast conversations, but men have this need to be respected and appreciated. Like, just it's kind of innate in us. We can take a lot of trash as long as.
1: We know it means something to somebody.
2: We we know it means it, right? And so I think saying thank you, saying thank you to your mom, saying thank you to your kids when they do something right. There's a saying I heard a long time ago, but it's easier to grow grass than it is to pull weeds. And I think sometimes what happens is we get so programmed in our minds that we got to get this out of there. We got to get this out of there. I got to, my kid can't do that. My kid can't, that we want to make sure we're taking time to grow grass. So I think it's shown in our speech A third category here that I think is important to talk about is we have to stop stressing out. And I think something that is innate to good marriages, good, strong families, is that they have fun with each other. Like they can enjoy each other's company and and family dynamics or marriages that seem to be, you know, just have a more difficult circumstance or environment are when they can't enjoy each other. They can't have fun. They they can't laugh. So let's talk about this for a little while. Like this, this idea of just how do we get to the place where our families can be fun factories and not stress factories, right? Where we can generate this environment in our home where we actually enjoy being around each other It's not put on, you know, it's not dreaded, but we actually enjoy being there and we go way out of our ways to do that. So what are some ways we can build into our homes or our our schedules? Man, I want to enjoy the company of my family.
0: I want to add to, before I answer, I want to add to what you said that it's so important that our home is not a stressful environment. I, I actually heard a podcast this week on an unrelated subject. They were talking about how our brains are made to handle short period single event stress. Like we can do well in moments that require high performance, right? Whether that's in your workplace, whether you're a teenager and that's in a sports game, wherever that is, we function well in that. But the damage is done to our brain during chronic stress when you live your life in that state, right? It's just every situation is a high pressure situation. There's a study done that shows that that takes years off your life. So it's very important that our home is not a stress factory, because a lot of times we can't control necessarily if work is a stress factory. or We can't stop if school is going to be a stress factory. But home has to be that place of relief for every member of the home. Right. I think one thing that that my parents did really well is my dad was always a busy guy, often working more than one job to keep us taken care of.
2: So, well, with, well, with nine kids, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two jobs would be a must. Kind of have to, yeah. <laughs>
0: So as a kid, I remember I don't really have a lot of memories of me and my dad just hanging out, chilling, doing nothing, having fun. But my dad took me with him all the time. Yeah. and Some of my my dad made work fun, and I think that number That's one, good. it was it was fun as a child, but also it instilled in me a desire to work from a young age. But I mean, from the time I was little, when I was probably doing more to slow my dad's work down than yeah. I was to actually help the work, yeah. he was dragging me along and he was showing me how to do things. And as a little kid, he was paying me with gummy worms and bug juice from the gas station when we yeah. got done. Yeah, yeah. And as I got older, he child was child like, labor
2: laws yeah. were not we're not uh being met right there.
0: I don't know how many hours I worked per gummy worm, but if I could do the math now, it probably wouldn't add up.
2: Let's let's like let's do this like maybe ping pong style. We can just kind of jump back and forth. So made work fun, which I, I really like that idea. That's a that's a great idea. So we all have stuff we have to get done. Right. You know, and so bring your kid along with you and, and make it enjoyable. Yeah. What what about you, Derek?
1: Yeah. I think just having just the lighthearted attitude isn't always natural, but sometimes I've seen in my own life, I can let myself get into a grumpy mood and I know it affects other people. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily because I'm having a terrible day, but just because I don't really feel like being talkative. I don't really feel like... When we like-
0: spearfish and we don't get any fish, Derek is not a fun <laughs> boat ride partner on the way home.
1: <laughs> I I would
2: say carve out things to do with your family that they're interested in, not just things that you're interested in. So my kids love playing Fortnite. I'm terrible at Fortnite. I don't even know <laughs> how to build one of those stupid structures. Why are we even building structures? Yeah. You know, like it, this makes this, these games make no sense to me, but my kids love them. So I play them and they annihilate me and they think it's hilarious. not it engage that person, husband, wife, kid, whatever. On their level, with something that they're interested in, keeps a fun atmosphere inside of a home. I didn't want to be the kind of dad that was always railing on video games. I wanted to be the kind of dad that was affirming my kid, life-giving words, and saying, okay, fine, if you're interested in that, I'll be interested in it. So I think you do that.
1: It keeps it a fun environment. That makes sense. Maybe I should stop forcing Jillian to go spearfishing with him. Uh, I'll give
2: you another one. Put a date on the calendar to do something enjoyable. Go out to eat. Go to the beach. A night out with your wife. Take her to a special restaurant. Catch a movie. Whatever. And put it as a future date. On next Friday, we're going to do this. And it builds anticipation. Kids are elephants, they'll never forget if you tell them, hey, next Friday, we're going to get ice cream. Every day between now and next Friday, they'll tell you, we're getting ice cream, we're getting ice cream. So that's one thing. The second thing is it builds excitement. That As you move toward that day, there's there's something happening inside of them that they're, it's something to look forward to. So this I, w- I want to create this spirit of an excitement and fun and anticipation. Well, there's got to be something to, to anticipate. So you're not going to do that every day. You're not going to do that every week. But it's got to be something big that they're looking forward to in the future. And it creates a more fun and exciting family conversation and family relationship.
0: Yeah, and you're getting weeks of benefit in your home from a one-day event. Yeah, You know, the excitement, the anticipation, all that. It changes the spirit. And it's one day of of actually doing something. And the rest of that is the benefit of the anticipation.
1: Yeah. I think doing that on a consistent basis is probably helpful too. Just knowing if, if it is, if we're having a very busy season, Hey, in February, we always do this. I remember yeah. that being something that we always did in February. We would go out to Joshua tree and our family in our church who owned a property out there. And we would go out there and ride dirt bikes and go karts around yeah. for two or three days. And we did that every February. Yeah. So find some kind and of was, family tradition, was a family tradition yeah. that, that we always did. We always did it together. And it was just a time that we made some incredible memories and it was just, it would have been on the counter. Like you said, we could always look forward to it mm-hmm. and you know, we could get through a couple of busy seasons. My dad was out preaching for another conference for a couple of weeks. But it wasn't the end of the world because Hey, I have those dates in February that we're going to, we're going to have fun together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think we're talking about some big scale stuff. I think you also got to find a way to not waste a small pockets of time Mm -hmm. because obviously what you're thinking, why these guys are saying this stuff is probably the same thing. I'm thinking like life is incredibly busy and there's been times before where me and my wife sat down and said, okay, we're going to go on a date. When's it going to be? And then we start going through the calendar and looking out and it's like, well, in three weeks we can go on a date. Sometimes that's the way it is, but you can find those small pockets where you get home from work the first 30 minutes you're home turn on some goofy kid show, sit down next to your kid and laugh at it with them on the couch. Yeah. Because while it may not feel as significant to you, it is to them. And for someone maybe who's more in my role of life where there's no kids in the home yet, it's a struggle for me to not get home, land on the couch and instantly turn the screen on. Right. Like my phone comes out before my rear end hits the seat. but my wife is probably a lot like your wife and her favorite part of the day is talking about the day. So for me to have that discipline to say the first 30 minutes I'm home, we're going to talk about all the goofy stuff that the little kids in your class said, and we're going to talk about your struggle with this or struggle with that. That adds significance to, uh, to the life of those that you invest in.
2: Yeah. I, I would jump on the back of that and say, just turn off the social media and phones in general when you're with your kids and family. So Unless it's this podcast, it, so, well, <laughs> like just social media in general is always building to some big crisis. Right. You know that's how it works. Some big crisis happens today. It's going to be forgotten because there'll be another crisis tomorrow. That'll be forgotten. There'll be another crisis tomorrow. So you're just there's always some kind of like crisis management that has to be taking place when you're living in that kind of a world. Turn it off and just enjoy the company with with one another. But at the same time, what I would say is. We're talking about not stressing. So those are some things that you do that create a fun work or, or a fun family environment. But what that also means is that necessitates us for some things you shouldn't do. And this is, I think, it kind of can be a fun conversation too. But like, what are some things you shouldn't stress about? I'll start on the list, but I would say stop stressing about bedtimes. <laughs> you, you know, sometimes what we do is we just stress like my kid has to be to bed at 830 because I read a report one time on you know WebND that said kids need to get 12 hours of sleep. And if my kid doesn't get 12 hours of sleep, he's not going to be able to function tomorrow at school. And if he can't function tomorrow at school, he's probably going to get a bad grade. If he gets a bad grade, he can't get that SAT score. If he can't get that SAT score, he's not going to get in college. If he can't get that college and the career is shot and he's probably going to live in my basement for the rest of his life. No, that's not true. Like none, like none of that equals the, the the. They have to be in bed. So, don't stress about bedtimes. Don't stress about meal times. Don't stress about like these are the things that we over we're over anxious about for for reasons that aren't helpful. And that's not us saying like we don't care what your kid eats. Let him eat pop tarts for every every meal. We're not saying that. But what we are saying is. Sometimes we let that stuff just worry, worry, worry us, and it's not helpful.
0: I think one thing my dad did really well with me is I feel like he keyed in on behavioral trends, but he didn't stress about behavioral events, right? If I had a bad day at school and I did I did something I shouldn't have done, it wasn't the end of the world, right? And I, I mean, I was disciplined. We would talk about it. It wasn't taken lightly, but I think my parents, they kind of key in on what's the trend of your behavior? What's the spirit of you a majority of the time where kids are just like adults and that they're going to mess up? They're going to mess up often. And if your kid has a bad event or a bad day or your spouse has a bad event or a bad day, that doesn't equal a bad person, doesn't equal a bad child or a bad spouse. Right. Key in and make great concern of those trends of behavior, but don't stress about the one time your son pushed another son down on the playground right it's it's what's a one-time event you know let those things go and just try to key in on the trends that your kids are having
2: yeah absolutely
0: i will say within marriage like the about a month before i got married i went to see my uncle or my, my great uncle excuse me and his wife had passed away just a few months before this so I went to see him on Easter. I was on the way out of town after visiting some other family and I just stopped by. I was thinking about him. Uh, It was his first Easter without his wife. And I sat down with him. We had a cup of coffee at his table and I just told him, you know, uh, Uncle Lamont, I'm getting married in in a month. What do you you think? And he started just talking to me. And one thing he said is, me and your aunt in 50 some years of marriage, we never never fought about money. We decided at the very beginning that money is not ever going to be important enough to come between us, and I've only been married for a year and a half. I don't have the experience that he has to speak from, um but I think especially not so much with your relationship with your kids but with your spouse, there's things that are worth coming to blows over, but money should never be one of
2: them yeah, absolutely yeah lot lots of times in my marriage a man I've been married twenty two years now, like having lots of times where we didn't know where the money was going to come from or you know where or even where it went um but <laughs> You know, the the Lord was always good and gracious. And those seasons are always seasons. That's what you have to remember. They're just seasons. Money is just a tool. That's all it is. And And it's certainly not worth wrecking family relationships over. The last thought here for how we strengthen our families, and I would say this is, we have to make the commitment to serve together. Serve the Lord together. Families that are strong families are families where you aren't the center of the universe, I'm not the center of the universe, the kids aren't the center of the universe, but Christ is the center, and we serve Him. We are a family that loves Jesus, that serves Jesus, that worships Jesus, that sings to Jesus, that prays to Jesus. We have Him as the center of our home. I'm reminded of that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 about uh, Stephanus, and it says in verse 15, I beseech you, brethren ye know the house of stephanus that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, and what a what a great testimony to stephanus mm. that his family was known they have it was his leadership it started in his heart, but it filtered into his home that they had what were they known for they weren't known as the family with all the best tools and all the all the you know next gadgets and gizmos but they were, they were known as a family that, and they just gave themselves to, the, to serving Jesus together. But that's the highest ambition any of us could have, that we would serve Christ together. So it starts in your heart, but it filters out into your home by way of your speech, by way of showing kindness to each other, by not stressing out over things that really in the end don't matter, But but that prioritizing an affirming, loving environment that's fun, that your kids are excited about, and committing yourselves, we're going to serve Jesus together. Whether that's in the same city, whether that's in the same country, whether that's even in the same hemisphere, we can still have a dynamic of saying we're serving Jesus together because we're serving Jesus with our lives. As my kids get older— this is the joy, right? John, I have no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. I want my kids to love Jesus. That's what I want. I want my kids to serve Jesus. I don't care if that means they're working a nine to five job at a bank. I want them serving Jesus with their lives. And the joy that comes from that, the togetherness, the strength that comes from that, I think is you know really what makes the family re- relationship and the family dynamic so exciting. So we, we appreciate everyone sticking around and listening to this conversation about family. We're going to give you a couple of uh, reminders so you can know where to find us and uh, how to follow us and how to help us with support. So Evan's going to give us a, a couple of reminders by way of our social pages.
0: Yeah, we got an exciting uh, new merch release coming up, hopefully in the next week or two. Keep an eye on Instagram and Twitter. We'll let you know about that. But. We have some, some cool new things that will be coming in the mail shortly, and then we're excited to make them available to you. Um, as well as, like I said at the beginning of the show, keep an eye on the Instagram stories here over the next week or two. We're going to do some polling, let you vote on some fun things to decide some of what we talk about. As well as don't forget to let us know which Star Wars character we look like.
1: Yep, just remember we'll be posting every tuesday at 9 a.m and uh, we're now on google podcasts as well for maybe the one or two of you who are listening (laughs) through google podcasts we're on there as well as spotify and apple podcasts a big
2: thank you to everybody for hanging out with us today we'll catch you guys on the next one
0: we gotta come up with a cool catchphrase for the way out